On Saturday, October 21st, 2017, Victoria Police conducted a press conference in relation to the Frankston and Tainong North serial killer case we covered earlier this year, Case 46. The following is from the official media release from Victoria Police. Victoria Police is today announcing six $1 million rewards for information regarding Operation Lindhurst, an investigation into the deaths of six people whose bodies were found in the Tainong North and Frankston areas from 1980. This is the largest amount ever offered in a single reward announcement in Victoria. At the time of disappearance, each victim was on foot and did not have access to a motor vehicle, with the majority intending to travel on public transport. The bodies of all victims had been left in scrubland, and efforts were made by the offender to conceal their location and their identity. Personal belongings had also been removed from each victim. Over the years, investigators have spoken to over 2,000 people in relation to the murders, and a number of persons of interest were identified. A new task force was established to review the cases in 1998, however no one has ever been charged in relation to the deaths. A reward of up to $1 million will be paid at the discretion of the Chief Commissioner of Police for information leading to the apprehension and subsequent conviction of the person or persons responsible for the abduction and murder of each victim. In appropriate cases, the DPP may consider, according to established guidelines, the granting of indemnification from prosecution to any person who provides information as to the identity of the principal offender or offenders in this matter. Any payment of a reward will be subject to the applicant signing a deed of confidentiality prior to payment. Investigators are seeking public assistance to help solve these six murders and are appealing directly to any persons with knowledge of these crimes and of those responsible to come forward and contact police. Anyone with information is urged to contact Crime Stoppers on 1800 000 or submit a confidential report at crimestoppersvic.com.au. That's crimestoppersvic.com.au. The press conference was led by Detective Inspector Mick Hughes from the Victoria Police Homicide Squad and also features family members and friends of the victims. Uh, as you know, the murders occurred between May 1980 and October 1981. So Keith, uh, Keith Rook is here from uh, uh, his uh, Alison son. So on the 30th of May 1980, uh, Alison Rook, 59, was last seen leaving her home in Hannah Street, Frankston North, about 11am, intending to catch a bus from the Hannah Street uh, in Frankston, down in Old North, bus stop to the Frankston shops and she's never seen again. So I'll, I'll leave it to Keith, if you've got questions for him. If not, we'll, uh, we'll move on to the, the next victim. Keith, what does this, uh, the offer of this reward mean to you and your family? Oh, it's something that we're really thankful that the, uh, uh, the police are now offering. We're thankful for the work that they've done. And uh, we're very hopeful that uh, some closure will come by perpetrators or perpetrator um, being caught because, um, you know, we, we, we had a traumatic time with the, and it's a sad way to, to lose a mum, a mother of six, and uh, she was a great mum and now we've, um, uh, we've, we've had to move on, everyone's had to move on, it's a lot of time, but still we would love to see uh, some finalisation. We think that um, it's, 
and we think that the person who has done this or persons uh, really are brought to justice for, for the terrible thing that they've done. We just hope that somebody who may know something out there should have a look and themselves and um, think what it would mean, not just for our family, but all of our families. Thank you, Keith. The next victim uh, we're going to talk about is Bertha Miller. Um, I spoke to, uh, I, I'll call him Mr Miller because he was my chief when I joined. Uh, and uh, Bertha was a uh, strong Christian woman. And on the 10th of August 1980, uh, she was last seen leaving her home in Cardinia Road, Glen Iris, about 10am, continuing to catch the tram from the Marlwood Road and High Street uh, intersection to the Wesley Methodist uh, Church in Prayer. Um, Bertha had met someone on that tram stop uh, a couple of weeks before. A male had struck up a conversation with her and he noticed she was carrying a Bible and he actually made reference to uh, her carrying a Bible. And she spoke to a friend after that and was pretty encouraged. She saw that as an opportunity to, uh, to talk to Christianity to this uh, person. So one, we've never identified who that is. And uh, um, we're working on the principle of a good chance he is our offender. So if we look at uh, all of the victims, they're either been using public transport or close to. So uh, he's clearly seen a way in to talk to Bertha. Uh, because uh, everything I've told about it, she would engage with people unless there was a reason to do so. Um, on the 29th of August, sorry, 28th of August, 1980, 14-year-old uh, Berwick uh, uh, girl, Catherine Hedlin, was last seen leaving her boyfriend's address in High Street Berwick about 11am, intending to catch a, a bus from Manuka Road and High Street Berwick to the Fountain Shopping Centre. And of course, uh, she's not seen again. Uh, until her body's found. Her best friend, Cheryl Goldsworthy, is here. Cheryl, can you tell us about your friendship and what happened Um, Well, she was a very well-liked girl, very popular, very friendly. She had friends everywhere and horses and school. And um, to me, she I just idolised her. Um, she's the girl that you wanted to be. And, you know, when you sort of back then you um, had your best mate and I would walk around every morning to um, meet her, to go to school together. Um, I remember when she first moved to Berwick, she moved there um, over school holidays and would have their dog tied to the handlebars of her bike and be riding around the block and we'd sort of see her ride past. And um, then after the school holidays, she turned up at Berwick High School and um, I met her there. Uh, it was grade five, six composite because I was a year younger than her and um, she was given a buddy at the time and I remember the first chance I got I walked up and said I know you, you live around the corner and she was basically my friend from then so yeah. And as a teenager going through something like this how did that change you and affect your life? Oh, it changed us all because as it was said that we thought we were safe we um, there was a group of us um, and we always stuck together and basically climbing over the back fences at night was because you don't go out at night, um, you know, and it, it shocked me and shocked us all. Um, it still does. Uh, it um, dictated how I raised my children and I know that it also had the same effect on her other friends with their daughters, that I wouldn't let my girls go out. I wouldn't let them go on a bus when 
know, because it was broad daylight and it should never have happened. She just had to cross the street. Um, and normally she wouldn't have even been alone. It was just wrong time, wrong place, I guess. You've mentioned that you've spoken out before. Why has it been so important for you to be so vocal as part of this investigation? Because I truly believe that someone out there knows something and they're keeping quiet. And I think the more that it's brought up and the more that it's publicised and the more people that know about it, sooner or later somebody's hopefully going to say something and put it to rest for us. Are you hopeful that that will happen? Yes, I am. Yeah. Thank you. On the uh, 6th of October 1980, and I should have mentioned Catherine was the youngest, 14-year-old. Uh, anyone who's got kids, just can't imagine the pain of that. In, in relation to any of these investigations, but a 14-year-old child. 6th of October 1980, 18-year-old Anne-Marie Sargent was last seen leaving her mother's address in Cranbourne Drive, Cranbourne, about 9.30am, intending to catch the bus to the CS employment office to Dandenong, and from there intended to travel to the uh, Clyde Post Office. Uh, again, she wasn't seen again until her body was located. Uh, Anne-Marie's brother Peter is here, and uh, uh, Peter, will answer any questions uh, that you may like to ask Peter. Peter, what was, what was Anne-Marie like and um, what did your family when she went for six months? Well, she's a very bubbly type person. Um, she loved kids. Um, it uh, really emotionally wrecked our family. Um, my mother at the time had cancer and it really um, sped up her um, final days. She had trouble coping with it. Um, it was really, really hard for the whole family. Everyone, even now, um, when we have things like this, we, we are hopeful that it will get solved. We're hopeful that it um, will give us closure um, because the pain for us is really still there on a day-to-day -day basis in the background, but especially when we have events like Christmas, um, birthdays and things like that, we miss her being there. So just despite the number of years that have gone by? Oh, uh, it, it, it was 37 years and for the whole family, um, and I can speak for them, that it is still hurtful. And the pain for us is, is, is still there. Even though, as I said, we're putting a little bit, parked it a little bit back, but every now and again, um, we do remember. But the good thing about it, we can talk about um, her in a great way, her friendliness, her um, puppiness, her love of her um, the time, her um, uh, nephew and niece. And uh, like I said, on that particular day, we, um, there was a, a daughter lost, a sister lost and a great aunt. So it is emotionally raw. How frustrating has it been? <clears throat> almost four decades and just there'd be not much progress on this investigation. And um, how, how it, has that really been heading you down a lot? Well, we feel that there's someone that does hold the key, that they've got that vital bit of information that they can pass on to the police to say, look, you know, it's time now we come forward and they give police that information so they can solve the case and, as I said, give all the families, not just my family, but all the families, that bit of closure um, so they can get on. It's not going to go away. For us, it's not going to go away. It's not going to bring her back. But at least we know that the perpetrator or Pearl is that it's been solved. And I think the police have done a great job because they've really not um, 
parts of the way just forgotten about it. Over the years, it's brought up every now and again, and they're still working on it. And I think that's a great thing. So, as I said, be nice if that person who's got that vital bit of information would come forward and give it to the police so we can close the case and we can all go on our lives in, you know, at least in a better way. Uh, our next victim on the 9th of October 1981, 55-year-old Joy Carvel Summers, was last seen at the bus stop in Chillisford, Frankston. Uh, sorry, Ed Frankston, down the road, Frankston, about 1pm. Intended to catch a bus to the Frankston shops, and of course, she's not seen again. Uh, her nephew, Quentin Gerard, is here, so uh, if you've got any questions, please we'll answer those. John. Yeah, would you like to show oh, John. I've written them both here. Yeah. My apologies, John. Would you like to tell us about, about your um, Well, Lady Joy was, um, she was a lovely, gentle, intelligent woman. Um, she was she was our aunt. Um, she was a, a loved sister by her mother. Um, and uh, I'm sure that Joy's death in this way um, certainly didn't help my mum, who had suffered a severe stroke some time before that. So she lived that to the end of her days. And, and um, I'm sure she was very frustrated and concerned that, you know, this perpetrator hadn't been found and there hadn't been much progress uh, towards that end. So, um, but, you know, uh, we're very thankful to the police for um, continuing the investigation through. It's just, uh, just hope that something comes of it. What, what, what I, I'm assuming your mum's no longer with us, but... That's right. What would it mean to, to your remaining family members if there were to be a result here? Um, well, none of mum's siblings are alive now, but the rest of the family, um, as each of the people have expressed it, um, emotionally, psychologically, it, it, it puts a deep scar through your family. And, uh, you know, we'd be just overjoyed if, um, if, if something came of it and, and we were able to actually finally uh, lay this to rest and say, well, at least we, we know who did it and he's been brought, he, whoever, has been brought to justice. This, this reward, does it, has it given you fresh hope, like real palpable hope, or, or has it been, how have, have you been disappointed over the last few years, you sort of not wanting to get your hopes up too much? Um, I'm hopeful because um, I, th I think it's uh, probably poses as a great incentive for somebody if they vaguely remember something that perhaps, you know, they didn't think was important years ago, they, they might decide to come forward and, um, you know, time, time goes on. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that we'll get something out of this. 29th of November 1980, 34-year-old Darrell Stevenson was last seen outside a friend's home in Park Street, Brunswick, nearly hours of the morning. So she'd been there with her husband Wade and uh, they were having dinner with friends. And they had a little bit of a disagreement, nothing major. She's a bit tired, so she went down and uh, slept in the car. Wade goes down and checks her a couple of times uh, during the night and comes back down in the morning and she's missing. And uh, she's obviously not seen until her body's located. They've got uh, Wade's uh, two daughters and adopted son, nephew, uh, here. So Tabor and Rhea are here. And, uh, uh, and a nephew. Uh, they, they don't want to answer questions, but they're here uh, supporting their dad. So we've got four uh, victims, all within the Tylenol immediate area, and two, uh, two victims in the Frankston area. 
but uh, the task forces and the original homicide investigation have certainly indicated that those six cases are linked. So hence the, uh, the media conference today. Uh, the, the victims were all either uh, on the one used to a public transport or were on foot. So someone has somehow engaged with them. Uh, and of course, if we had the key to that, we'd probably have the answer to the question. So uh, if you, there, there's a lot of teasers in this, but, uh, I'm sorry to use that word, but there's a lot of little things that you look at and you think, if I just knew more about that, it might take us somewhere. One example of that is, is Bertha talking to this fellow at the tram stop. But uh, as uh, Peter Trickius, who's my detective student sergeant in charge of the cold case, and he sat there with the families today, and uh, as we say, we progress a lot of these investigations through relationships changing. And uh, if someone has assisted uh, or knows something about this, we're obviously appealing for them to come forward. We do know that uh, all, all the victims have been left in uh, sort of scrubbly environments and efforts have been made to conceal them. Uh, personal belongings have been removed from each victim and we obviously won't talk about what those belongings are. Over the uh, years of uh, a number of investigations, uh, over 2,000 people have been spoken to. Uh, we've had a number of persons of interest identified and uh, clearly uh, we're going to go back to square one and we'll start again. We're not satisfied that any of those uh, uh, the earlier nominated suspects are excluded. Uh, the task force that I uh, mentioned earlier was established in 1998 and I think they actually finalised the actual work uh, in the early 2000s. We're now seeking uh, public assistance in relation uh, to those investigations. Uh, we believe that you've got six victims in broad daylight that uh, uh, have been basically scooped up off the street. So someone must know something about these investigations and we're appealing for the public to come forward. If we had an appropriate case where uh, someone had taken a minor role, you know, for example, providing a vehicle or uh, has uh, done something after an offence, uh, we would certainly approach the APP and the Director of Public Prosecutions. Uh, we would judge each case on its merit, uh, but certainly uh, if we thought that would progress to the investigator, we would certainly uh, consider that. As you know, the rewards are uh, paid and they're subject to a confidentiality agreement with the party. And I just mentioned that because uh, People may want the confidence that if they speak, that uh, that's retained. So that's pretty much it from me, uh, unless you've got specific questions you'd like to ask. How confident are you that it's the one person responsible for all six of these crimes? Yeah, I think it's a fair question. That, uh, even though we're going back from the start and looking again, uh, I know some of the people that worked on all of those uh, various investigations. But particularly the last one, which was under Commander Clyde Rust, uh, and they've done a very thorough uh, examination. I'm not going to talk about some of the stuff they've done to, shall I say, supplement their decision, but uh, I know Clive in particular and his team are confident in all six are, and as a, as am I. Um, Harold Chairman, his name has propped up prominently in this investigation. Yes. Can you talk about where he fits them? Well, I'm not going to talk on any 
suspect, su suffice to say, Chairman remains a person of interest. You said that you'll be reinvestigating all of those people of interest. Does he fall into that category? Uh, yes. Um, do you have a particular individual in mind? No. Uh, we, uh, as one of the things I think, if we haven't spoken to all the families today about that, I oh, apologise, but we certainly said to a couple of families, our intention is to come in with a clear mind and start from scratch. Why now? I mean, you've talked about how this was reinvestigated from the late 90s to the early 2000s. Why again now? Yeah, look, we, uh, uh, the cold case team have had some success recently with rewards, as you know. A couple of those have come, uh, even though we went in, hoping to get a result. Uh, a couple of the people I've contacted have come forward from left field and uh, have really been helped us, helped us progress investigations. So, sitting down with Peter and the team, um, we think it's an opportunity. Uh, people are aware that uh, uh, we're using different ways to approach investigations. This is, this is one of them. So basically, the passing of time is, it could be to your advantage yes. to people to, you know, the dust to settle and then perhaps they can't come back yes. to you. Yes, and you know, a couple we did recently, uh, one of the things we honed in on is young people at the time, you know, where we had young relations, uh, young friends involved or, or on the fringe that are now married and got children. Yeah. Uh, uh, it could be a, a, a person that's in a domestic, violent domestic situation that's no longer in that situation that may know something. Uh, we don't know how the relationships change, so we're certainly hoping, and, and look, even, uh, even to look at, uh, you know, this offender is likely to be in his 70s or older. Um, I guess if we say he was uh, uh, 20 and 80, um, you know, what's he now in his early 60s? If he's 30 and 80, he's obviously in his 70s. So someone who might have been threatened by this person 30 years ago, probably not, not threatened by it now. So they're the very people we're looking at, is if you know something, uh, come forward and we'll, uh, we'll reach out and see what we can do to progress it. Is this the situation where you've been able to do any sort of profiling of a potential offender? It's been work done early on that, and I wasn't going to go into that, but they, they went offshore and uh, uh, they went to America and had, had a look. Uh, FBI? Yes, yeah. so a bit of work done around that. Uh, I think we need to get more rudimentary. I think there's uh, some really old-fashioned policy here that will help us progress these. Uh, but I, I think I've said to most of the families, and if I haven't said to them all, I apologise, but uh, all we need is to get in on one, and I think we'll progress the others. This is this is very hypothetical, yes. obviously, but if if it turns out to be the one offender, and um, you're able to get a conviction on all six offences, could someone be in line for all six million dollars? Yes. Look, we intentionally, uh, obviously, put a reward on each uh, victim. And you can understand why that. One is we're showing the families that we value each of these victims the same. But more importantly, it's more likely one person will be able to provide information for what investigation. So to answer your question, probably don't. Um, uh, we would certainly, if someone say, a relationship, for example, someone was in a relationship with the offender has now broken away from that offender, was able to give us information about a number of investigations, we would certainly go to the rewards committee and say, look, this person has provided information in relation to two or three jobs. So I guess it, it's from a million dollars right through subsequent to what information they're able to provide. But that's not our intention. Our intention is to, you know, basically individually solve every job with a view of solving all six.
Can you uh, talk a bit more, sorry, about the, how all six are, are linked? Uh, if, if you're so confident that they are linked, is it strictly just where the bodies were found, or is there other links between these six people? Oh, the main link is Tordog. Is the, the three victims of Tordog are the same offender without doubt. Uh, but to, if, you, if you look at the time frame, they look from the 30th of May, 80, until uh, the 9th of October, 81, Six victims, using public transport, uh, abducted off the street and murdered and dumped in close proximity. Uh, three together, almost identically together. Darabal Stevenson, not far away, but very close to Tynong. And I don't know, I think you may have been provided with a map. Uh, uh, so those four are really close. Uh, Alison Rook is murdered, she's the first victim that's murdered, and she's dumped in Frankston North. And... Uh, Joy Campbell Summers is the last victim, but again, she's done in Frankston North. Uh, if I had information that came in on those two murders and they took me another way, that's why we have the open mind. But like most of us that have read all the material, uh, we're as confident as we can be that uh, those six jobs are, are linked. We're looking at six murders in a relatively short space of time. Yeah, absolutely. So if it's the same offender, um, has something caused that offender to stop or is it someone who's gone on to commit other offences that you're yeah, also looking at? There's nothing that, obviously, our cold case team runs that comparison, but we've obviously spoken about Margaret Elliott, who's murdered in 1975. Uh, she's visiting her friend in the hospital at Box Hill. She lives in Berwick. And, uh, their bodies found in Gardens Creek, Glenorris. So, we again, we'd have an open bond on that investigation. That's five years before uh, any of these murders. Uh, there's not a lot after this that we that jumps out at us, but we would certainly have an open bond on any unsolved investigation. I guess what I'm asking is, are, are, are there, despite the passage of time, any potential links to some of the more notorious people we're aware of who are currently in the correction system. Yes, or... yeah. I think I know you're referring to in yep. particular. Yes. Uh, I've got to say I'm not as convinced with the material I've seen in relation to that particular person. The telltale signs aren't there? No. Okay. Um, um, just going back to the Bertha Miller yes. um, disappearance, um, can you just go into a little bit more detail on the man or person she was chatting to, and that was at the tram stop. Who, who actually saw that happen? What did they see? No, she told she she told a friend, and it, uh, you know we, we don't remember every detail of these cases. You can imagine. No, I haven't looked at Todd for a little while, Quinn has been, and his team have been doing that on my behalf. But it was only when I was speaking to my ex chief, yeah. Mr. Bob, and he reminded me that uh, that this male engaged with Bertha, that she was uh, he, he actually identified she was carrying a Bible, and he engaged through that conversation. And when she told her friend, so it's a couple of weeks before. Oh, sure. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, uh, she, she saw this as an opportunity to, uh, for want of a better word, to witness to someone about Christianity. So we believe that person has probably seized that as an opportunity to perhaps meet her on the bus stop again, on the trip stop again. We have a... Um, I don't know how this could be leaked, but we have a record of a story from 1989 right. about... Um, two letters that boasted knowledge of the deaths of four women 
um, and typewriters were seized from Petridge. Does that ring any bell? I might have to give you some advice on that. Yeah. Uh, it was obviously, it, was, it, it appears to be that it was something that was looked at at the time yes. as being linked to these. Yeah, okay. The, the, certainly linked to the four who were found in or near Tyne on okay. North. No, I don't off the top of the head, but I'll, okay. I'll make some inquiries and come back to you. Uh, the, do, do we know the author of the article? Doesn't matter if you know it or not. The author of the, the story? Yes. Uh, no. No, that's right. Perhaps we'll speak it's just our, our files from those days yeah. are pretty slick. Thank you. Yeah, there was some mention back yeah. in the day, but um, that was looked at at all. And discounted? I want to get back to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Right. Yeah. Are you assuming that this is one perpetrator, as you said? No, I'm not assuming that. I'm, I'm assuming uh, we've got one killer. Uh, you specifically asked me about the perpetrator. Posted about it or something like that. Sorry? He could have had a couple of or Yeah, well, you, you just never know. Like, uh, we have to. Serial killers tend to be work alone, but history tells us not always. So uh, you've got to have an open mind. Uh, if, for example, let's say the uh, fellow on the tram stop talking to Bertha Miller is our offender, how is he going to get Bertha from the tram stop to his transport? So then you have an open mind and say, was there someone else with the car? Or was it just that he wasn't in his car that day and had no method to, and therefore she was safe on the first occasion? Or he's not the offender. He's uh, he's someone that's struck up a conversation with her about her Bible on a tramp stop. So that's how open air mind has to be on this job. Um, why has the DNA helped solve any of these? Can you just explain why that has no, been? No, I, I don't think it'll be appropriate for me to go there at the moment. What? Mm. We haven't got an offender, so we haven't got DNA, but I'll hear what you say. Was there, and, and I apologise to the people in the room, but was there any evidence of um, assault other than the homicides? Uh, yes. Yeah. Could could that, if you felt you had uh, a suspect, could that we're, assist in terms of DNA? We're reviewing all of that now. That's yeah. why it's hard for me to go there because we don't know the answer to the next question. I read also no, like, the cause of death for each person was unknown. Yeah, look, we're, uh, no, we're not talking about that, no other. Uh, just do one more question. Just yes, of course. Ask um, the friends and family that we have here, there's been mentioned the suspects who have seemed to be seemingly been connected to each case in several different ways. We spoke about frustration, but perhaps that's not the best word. What would it mean if one of those people is indeed found to be the offender here? For lack of a better word, how frustrating that be that they may have slipped through the cracks for so long? Um, oh, well, very frustrating because, as I said, I'm sure that everyone here of the family members want that closure. And as I said before, if the police could actually get the perpetrator or perpetrators, if there is any more than one, that they could uh, prosecute and at least get an answer so they can close the case and get that prosecution and we can get that closure as a, as a as I said, wouldn't, it's not going to for us, make it go away, but it's certainly going to um, give us closure and, and help for us to go forward just a little bit better. Um, I don't think anyone else got anything to say, but yeah, it would help.
I sort of just that question of the fact that this person perhaps may have been living this quote unquote life. Well, as I said before, that person is going to be a lot older. They've had their life. My sister, for me, didn't have a great life. I consider a long life. Her life was cut short while this person went on living and just sitting in the background, whether he wants to admit what he done or someone wants to put it forward and saying, well, here's some information. But as I said, his life is now probably getting close to an end, where, as I said, my sister at her age didn't have a long life. It was cut short. And I don't think that's really, really fair. Perhaps I could talk on behalf of the family in relation to, if we charge an offender, if, if, if this takes me there, we charge an offender who's previously been nominated as a suspect, I know I'd be incredibly frustrated. But you've got to understand that the road that some of these people went before us, the investigators before us, they may have been limited in a lot of the work they could do that we're not limited with today. So uh, uh, from our investigation perspective, that's a real possibility that we may have to address down the track, but it's not a bad uh, problem to be addressing. If, if I charge the offender or my team charges the offender with these six murders, I'll be happy to address the issues and the gaps that uh, were identified as a result. <laughs>